All right, you guys, I am currently struggling with a pinched nerve in my neck. And if you have ever had one, you know the pain. So I am feeling super thankful for today's sponsor, Tanasi. Tanasi's CBD, CBDA is two times better than CBD alone and better than over-the-counter ibuprofen, acetaminophen, and aspirin. It helps soothe and relieve my aches and pains like my pinched nerve, and it's great for sleep and anxiety, so I put it on right before bed. Tanasi was discovered by a team of chemists and biologists at Middle Tennessee State University, and 5% of all revenue is given back to the university partner for ongoing research. It is THC-free and comes in a range of products. I love the topicals, but you can also choose from soft gels, gummies, and tinctures. Satisfaction is guaranteed. Try Tanasi for 30 days, and if you don't love it, you get a full refund. Go to Tanasi.com and use code MOM to get 25% off at checkout. That's T-A-N-A-S-I.com to get 25% off your first order with promo code MOM. Since learning the truth about alcohol over four years ago, I've become pretty skeptical about anything that seems too good to be true. You know, like alcohol. If you're like me and you can spot a too-good-to-be-true health hack from a mile away, congrats, you're a skeptic too. Ritual knows that every good skeptic deserves a multivitamin that exceeds our standards. I take Ritual's Essential for Women 18 Plus every morning because it has high-quality and traceable key ingredients in clean, bioavailable forms. It's gentle on an empty stomach and has a minty essence in every bottle that helps make taking my multis actually enjoyable. No more shady business. Ritual's Essential for Women 18 Plus is a multivitamin you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month at ritual.com forward slash sober mom. Start Ritual or add Essential for Women 18 Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com forward slash sober mom for 25% off. Hi, welcome to the Sober Mom Life podcast. I'm your host, Suzanne of My Kind of Sweet and the Sober Mom Life on Instagram. If you are a mama who has questioned your relationship with alcohol at times, if you're wondering if maybe it's making motherhood harder, this is for you. I will be having candid, honest, funny conversations with other moms who have also thought, hmm, maybe motherhood is better without alcohol. Is it possible? We'll chat and we'll talk about all things sobriety and how we've found freedom in sobriety I don't consider myself an alcoholic. You don't have to either. And maybe life is brighter without alcohol. I hope you will join us on this journey, and I'm so excited to get started. Hello. Welcome to the last episode of the year that is so hard to believe. As we tend to do at the end of the year, we're going to look back and we're going to Listen to some of my favorite moments from our episodes so far. We've had so many wonderful guests who were just so so vulnerable and willing to share their stories and what they've learned in sobriety. So I hope that you like this. I love a good look back. I love a retrospective. That's what this is. So I hope you enjoy and I hope you're taking some time to really look back at your year and see what you want to leave in 2022, what you want to bring into 2023. And I can't wait for you to join me in the new year. And I know it'll be great. So here is the best of episode. First up, we have Katie Rexing from episode number one. Katie was my first guest. I think motherhood kind of forced me into that, like just becoming aware of how I take care of myself. Mm-hmm. And I started being more conscious of what I ate. I started being more conscious of just like movement and meditating. And I was practicing yoga. And it was so interesting to me because on one aspect of my life, I was leading this like really healthy, mindful life, like really intentional with all of my choices. And yet alcohol was still a part of it. And I right. just, for whatever reason, it was that one thing that I just didn't question. It was like, I mean, I would question whether I ate a piece of pizza mm-hmm. until like the cows came home. But like, I'd have a glass of wine with no problem. I would eat like a vegan slice of pizza <laughs> with a glass of rosé. Do you know what I mean? It was right. like, it was weird. I just gave alcohol a pass. 
And it took me a while. I, you know, I did done a, a lot of cleanses over the years where I'd take like a month off of drinking and I would feel so good. And it wasn't the month off of drinking that was the hard part. It was that re-entry back in. Totally. And then it would like feel, I don't know, I would just like have like a really bad hangover after like one or two lessons of wine. And and you would feel like you have to get back, like I just have to get past this hard part. Yes. And like you go out to eat and people would be like, oh, why aren't you drinking? I'm like, oh, I'd have to explain it. It was always this like weird thing, but it actually wasn't yeah. like the month off of drinking. It was everything else around it that felt hard. And I had done this for years where I had seen other people like stop drinking it and it felt so radical to me. I was like, wow, why yeah. did, you know, that's, that's crazy. I, I can never, I couldn't picture myself. And yet there was a part of me that was kind of envious, like jealous almost of like, I wish I could do something like that, but it just didn't right. seem, it seemed overwhelming. And I had toyed with the idea of, you know, just going for like, Maybe I do like two months where I don't drink. And it was it was weird, Susan. It wasn't like a planned thing per se. I just like remember this. We had gone to California over COVID. And when we were in California for two months, I think I probably drank, I'm not going to say every day, but it was at least every other. And it was just a glass of wine here or a glass of wine there. And I came home and I felt like shit. And I was like, you know what? And it was right around the holidays. I was like, this is it. And it was New Year's Eve. We were at my parents' house in Ohio. I was drinking a warm glass of Chardonnay that wasn't even good. And it was like this glass. And I was like, why am I doing this? I just, why am I doing this back and forth? I'm like, I knew in the back of my mind it wasn't doing me any good. And I looked at John Paul and I, like, it wasn't premeditated. There was no like thought behind it. And I just looked at him and I was like, I'm done. This is my last drink. I poured it down the glass, down the drain. I set the glass down. And I went to bed, never thinking that that was actually going to be my last drink. Right. Never being like, what did I just say? Yeah. It wasn't that like premeditated. I think had I thought I was never really going to drink again, it would have felt too overwhelming. I just, totally. I think in the back of my mind, I meant like, well, for this month or maybe for right. a couple of weeks. Well, because how could you ever say you're not going to do anything ever again? I don't know how. Y- yeah, anyone can kind of wrap their minds around that. Yeah, yeah. So that was a year and a half ago. Listen, I'm, I feel the healthiest I've ever felt in my life. This is something I wish I would have done years ago. It felt the first month, I don't think I understood the gravity of it. It was just like, I'm just not going to drink. It was almost kind of like my body was like depuffing, just getting back to so like, it really took a couple of months to feel like back to like equilibrium, if that makes any sense. Like, mm-hmm. And once I felt that, I was like, oh, So this is what it feels like to wake up with energy. Yeah, like this is how I'm designed to feel. This is how I'm designed to feel. Yeah. But I had never felt that in my adult life because even if I went like, I mean, I think the longest I'd ever gone without alcohol was a month. And so it was really powerful. That's amazing. And I I think those months off, because I think people do that, right? Like sober October or like dry January or whatever it is, you know, you could see the benefits of that of like, okay, I'm going to just stop this and kind of detox. But then you kind of don't reap the benefits of sobriety. It's like you do that first, I'd say probably the first month is just the hardest as far as like habits. You go through that first hard month and then you go back to it and you're like, no, like just if you keep going. No, I could not agree more. It's almost like had I known, I would have been like, why are you even doing this? Because it really was like you were just getting to the good stuff at that 30 days. like, And then you get to the good stuff and you're like, oh, now I get it. And that's when the power started snowballing. And I felt empowered. I felt more confident in, in myself. And it's funny because it was really like after like four or five months, I stopped thinking about it. From episode number four, my best friend of 42 years, Kate Olson of The Mindful Librarian. That's interesting because so you had kids so young and that kind of was like thwarted that kind of, you know, the the (laughs) drinking and like the softball, the Wisconsin drinking scene that was kind of cut short. And so then you kind Mm -hmm. of still try to figure out how alcohol can play a role while you're still a mom. And that's what I ran into once I got married. And then we had a baby pretty quickly after that. And it was like, wait, I no longer want to party. Like, but is there a role for alcohol in motherhood? Like, how does this fit into it? So I think that kind of trying to figure that out is interesting. And I think that that's where that mommy wine culture comes in. Because I I think all moms are trying, especially with the pandemic, are trying to be like, well, I 
kind of grew up turning to alcohol to escape. Do we still do that? And I think that everyone comes to their own conclusion. Mine and yours were no. (laughs) Well, I think too, given that I am always trying to take care of everybody and making sure, you know, that kind of thing. And I think for me, one of the big reasons I ever even started drinking and why I would binge drink was to fit in because I'm not naturally someone who can stay out late. I'm not naturally one who can just lose all my inhibitions because I'm too worried about feeling controlled and and taking care of myself and not getting in trouble and all that stuff. So alcohol was the only way I could do that, you know? And then eventually I think I just, I think I grew into the age I always was, if that makes sense. Like I think you were always (laughs) a 40 year old. I was always a 40 year old. And so thank God I can finally just be one now. Yeah. Yeah. And and then I'll still like from now on, I'm gonna be young at heart. And so that's right. Yeah, you have to just (laughs) remain 40. I'm always going to be 40. I'm never like, oh, I always feel eight at heart. Nope. No, I've always been 40. 40. And so yeah. So I think that truly it's just like finally it's at I'm at a life stage by surrounded by contemporaries where not partying was finally something that was an acceptable choice. Yeah. Because I, I remember even like when I first tasted beer, I'm like, I remember being like, I hate this so much. I have to drink at least four before yeah. I can not taste it anymore, which is yeah. like the most disgusting thought ever. Until because it like, tastes how like water. From episode number five, we have Emily Lynn Paulson. There's this idea too of like, oh, you know, I didn't come from alcoholics, quote unquote. Like I, you know, it's a genetic thing. Some people have it, some people don't. And and I think I want to challenge that narrative a lot too, because yes, there's a ton to be said about if you grow up in a family where alcohol is used problematically, you know, you're going to have a tendency to do that yourself. But also what are we saying to kids if we behave one way and say another thing, another thing, you know, if we're including alcohol at every function and showing kids that it's necessary you know, at a kid's birthday party and at, you know, like, what are we showing kids? It doesn't matter if you don't drink it. It doesn't matter if you only have one. It doesn't necessarily matter if you only drink once in a while, but what are you showing your kids and and what messages are you sending? And also about their own worth, right? That mommy needs to drink because I'm difficult. Because you're hard. That's a very damaging message. Alcohol is just so normalized that it just seeps in. It seeps into just everything. And we don't even realize what our kids are seeing and hearing every day. And and it goes into the, the informed consent piece of it too. Again, because I don't, I'm not a prohibitionist. I don't care if alcohol is legal, illegal. Like that's not, I don't care if you drink or not. That's not my thing. It's, it's let's understand that it's a carcinogenic, dangerous substance and let's treat it that way instead of like this lifeblood. And, and again, like we serve it at the end of marathons, we serve it during yoga, like, like, what are we doing that, you know, they don't understand that it's how dangerous it is, that it's the most dangerous drug. And if you still decide to pick up a drink, good on you, who cares, go for it. But let's just make sure we're, we're telling the right story about what it actually is. Yeah, let's call it what it is. Let's stop pretending that it's it's a way to escape and to help anxiety and to help moms unwind. I mean, I mean, if moms still want to drink, like go out and drink. That's yeah, like you said, like that's that's fine. But let's not continue to perpetuate this message that it's a way to make motherhood easier. I definitely don't think so. Motherhood is hard enough, dude. It is hard. And again, like like I said, I. I thought it made me a better parent. And the reason I thought that is A, everyone around me was telling me that. And B, it was numbing all of the joy because you can't, you know, I think it's Brene Brown who says like, you can't numb the bad and not the good. She says it way more eloquently, but something like that. Yeah. You can't selectively numb. So you can't just be like, I want to not feel the hard parts, but I want to remember the good parts. And I think that you don't even realize what small moments you're missing until you stop drinking. And then you really start to see those. Like I remember that on my first sober 4th of July, just looking around at my kids, like playing with sparklers and like all these little tiny moments that would are just gone in a second that I would have completely missed. Episode number seven, Jyoti Chand. 
I thought that wine was easing my anxiety, but it was actually worsening my anxiety this entire time. Everything, I went to bed on time. I was sleeping better. I think just overall, my creativity was just blown away. Like I was like so creative. My brain like unlocked. I thought drinking and substances were supposed to make you more creative. Like those like cool artist type, but no, 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 not at all. Like my writing got so much better. And then I also hit a hundred thousand followers in that span of time. Cause I was just producing content like a mad woman. So I will say my life has changed greatly from the day I got sober until now. And I don't think it's a coincidence at all. I think that the reason that I am successful at what I'm doing and at my creative arts and, you know, signed with an agency for influencer stuff too. And like, it's because I have the focus to do it and I'm not inviting alcohol to every aspect of my life. And that brain power that you used that used to be taken up by alcohol, even when you weren't drinking, right? So when you were either getting ready to drink, deciding if you should drink, if you shouldn't, all of that then was freed up too. I can't wait to drink. Oh, am I going to have a drink tonight? Oh, wait, who's going to drive? If I'm drinking, I mean, how many am I going to have? And who's driving? Should I Uber? Yes. All that pressure and that gymnastics. Yeah. And talk about anxiety. I mean, that's, that is so much anxiety. And then the guilt, right? When you say, oh, I'm not going to drink tonight and you end up hungover the next day, the amount of guilt, oh, I knew I shouldn't have drank tonight. I have so much to do today. Now I'm going to get nothing done. And it's just a cycle. It's a vicious cycle. And once you break it, once you step out of the cycle and you're like, I'm done, like your life will change. Episode number eight, Jen Hurst. I lived in the sober closet for four years and I didn't talk about it. I didn't share about it. That's just how I was brought up. And I went through the flow. I went to treatment three times inpatient. I went to outpatient like nine times. And and so I was brought into this, this culture where you don't say anything, only in the rooms. And what stays in the rooms stays in the rooms. You don't share it. So I just felt, yeah, I felt no one cared. I felt alone in my sobriety. I was kind of living a dry drunk lifestyle. So when I started coming out, it's just, it was amazing how freeing that is. Create an example for the people that come behind us. Be the lighthouse and light the way for others. And that's what I tell the women in my group. You don't have to tell people, you don't have to wish someone to change or shout sobriety from the rooftops unless you'd like to. You just need to shine a light. Shine you're like it. And it's so cool to see women get their spark back and to go from crying in the beginning to like laughing full on. So happy. You see the light comes on again and they're back, but not only back, but now they're so much stronger because of what they've been through. Episode number 10, my husband, Russell. I want to know how it is for you because like you mentioned, you are still drinking a little bit. I will say that your drinking has drastically decreased too, even when you do go out. And, you know, I've set a boundary, which I always tell other sober moms or, or sober women whose husbands are still drinking. Like everyone has to come to what is comfortable for them for me, you know, you and I have agreed two two beers, like when you're out, two beers feels fine to me. And if you're coming home, you know, if you're if you're coming home like that night, which you normally do. I think any more does feel scary to me and that's probably like a product of how I grew up. It feels a little bit like I don't know what to expect and I can't connect in a whole different level. Even if we're out, like if we're out at a party and you're going to drink, we agree on those two beers. That's like, I'm fine with that. Yeah. So how do you feel about that? Like, how do you feel about my boundary? How do you feel about your drinking? Well, if I'm to be honest, obviously I, I don't love being told or limits being put on anything. (laughs) You just hate being told what to do. I do what I want. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. You guys, this is a guy who didn't get married until his 40s. So you have to remember, he's a <laughs> very 40s. strong, yeah, no, mid 40s. Okay. He was, yeah, he's a strong willed guy. So if your husband, if you're listening to this and you're like, oh, my husband would never go for that, let me tell you, <laughs> my husband would have never gone for that. 
you have to remember too, I didn't like, I did not have this all figured out when I stopped drinking. I wasn't like, oh, I have an idea. I'll stop drinking. Then his drinking will decrease because he'll see how great sobriety is for me. (laughs) And then I'll set a boundary for him and then he'll follow it. (laughs) Like that, that's just not how it happens. This might sound selfish, but I didn't think about you when I stopped drinking. I just thought about our marriage as a byproduct of how it would affect it. Yeah. But my goal in stopping drinking had to just be about me. Episode number 11, Erin Chalor of Raw Beauty Talks. I don't want it to ever feel like handcuffs. And because I wasn't somebody who drank and, you know, hurt other people or hurt myself in ways that I could never come back from. If I want to or choose to at some point in my life have a drink here or there, then that's what I'll do. It's just, for me, it's just not right in this season. But again, sobriety is going to look different for everyone. And it's the same for meditation. I'm finding it really helpful right now to say to myself, my family, my kids, my husband, I'm meditating every day. It's a non-negotiable in my life. And I've had some pretty wild anxiety over the last couple of years. Um, So they're supportive in knowing that I need to take care of myself so I can show up for other people and to show up for them. And so the meditation is really powerful in rewiring our neural pathways, supporting me and welcoming more peace into my life, really deconstructing thought patterns that are holding me back from finding peace and growth in certain areas. Yeah, And so just knowing I'm going to do it every day, kind of like sobriety. It's like, I'm just doing this every day. Right. It, it takes the questioning out. It takes the questioning. And this is actually a big piece of my sobriety thing as well. There were some questions at the beginning, like, why don't you just cut back? And I said, because then it creates this dialogue of back and forth in my head. Am I going to, how much am I going to have? Yes. Should I do it tonight? What, then I have that other thing coming up in the weekend. I'm like, I don't have time for that mental chatter. Totally. It's so much. My husband's like, what, what is this mental chatter? What is this voice in your head? I'm like, what are you talking about? He's like, I don't have that voice. Oh my God. I've got I'm like, that voice is always on in my head. (laughs) So many voices. So many. Like, I feel like, yeah, men, men probably don't. You know what I mean? Like they're just very compartmentalized. I know I'm generalizing, but still like, I think all women, especially moms listening right now, know exactly the voices you're talking about. I'm like, there's just too much chatter. I, I need, I've got decision fatigue and I need to simplify things. So it's like, yes. it's not, am I going to meditate today? It's when am I going to and how, like, where am I fitting that in? And it's not even, am I going to have a drink tonight when we go to that thing? I'm just not. So that's simplifying things and cutting out the mental chatter. <laughs> Episode number 12, my brother, Jay Knower. I've been really about self-improvement lately. And and I mean, talk about taking a big thing off the table that, you know, yeah, that doesn't help. Nothing gets worse when you stop drinking. I mean, in the short term, yes, like you might have cravings, you might, your anxiety might go up a little right away before you kind of find your tools to deal with all the shit because bad feelings and hard feelings and all that stuff does come up. But in the long term, nothing gets worse if you stop drinking. I could see the social stuff getting worse. I, like I'm not a real social person. I don't like go yeah. out to, to, you know, dinner a lot. I don't go out to, I don't go to other people's houses for dinner. I don't go out to, I never really went out to bars that much. I wasn't like a bar guy, but like, if that was your life, I think that would be hard. Yeah, I think it is until you find tools to like help manage that, whether it's a mocktail or finding other people who a different group of friends, Yeah, finding other people who don't prioritize alcohol over connection. I I think until you kind of find your way, it's it's tough. It's not as tough as a brutal hangover, though. No, like it's just not. It's just, yeah, there's some growing pains and trying to figure out what life is going to look like now. But I think even with your like you're not social in the like going out to the restaurant thing, but your whole climbing circle and all of that, that is a very like your social stuff takes place at the cliff. Yeah. Or like post climbing, like you guys would ha- probably have beers and stuff like that. So, so you are kind of having to figure out how to deal with that without that stuff, without alcohol. Yeah. But then I could be like, nah, I'm not drinking anymore. And everybody's like, ugh. 
<laughs> like oh like everybody's like everybody says like oh well yeah you know i should stop too or i'm only having a beer at once once a week or whatever so like yeah this power dynamic like is shifted because i feel like the peer pressure goes the other direction then it totally does like every time i tell somebody i'm sober they immediately are like thinking about their alcohol intake and then like feeling self-conscious. I mean, that's not why I say it. I'm not trying to be like, hey, yeah, look at me. This is better. But that is why I say it. (laughs) That's why Jay says it. (laughs) That does just go to show you, though, that anyone's response to your sobriety is 100% about their relationship with alcohol and what they think about it. It's never about yours. It's 100% about they immediately then go to oh shit, am I drinking too much? Or, oh yeah, I've been wanting to cut back too. Or if they're in denial about their drinking or if they don't want to stop, whatever it is, it's just always about them. Episode number 14, Michelle Smith of Recovery is the New Black. Somebody wise in the in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous that, you know, with the time you walk into the rooms and the, the time it takes you to get into inpatient treatment and leave, like, wherever it takes, right? It is literally, you're hearing the same thing. It's the only difference is, is you're ready to hear it. You're ready to embrace the fact that my life is better without alcohol in it. And it is costing me more than it is providing me. And there is nothing healthy that this substance is doing to better my life, my mental health, or my family structure. And those are the questions I'm so empowered to ask people because Putting yourself into a box and, and getting a label attached to your forehead is very stigmatizing to people. And it makes you feel small. Yeah, I am absolutely an alcoholic. I can admit that. I do participate in Alcoholics Anonymous at some level, but I have so many other multi-factors that I call pathways to recovery and patchwork that depending on the season for me is what I'm needing more of, whether that's mental health or you know, religion or, you know, whatever it is that keeps me motivated to living my truth and showing up to live my best life. So that's going to look different. But, you know, I think it's just that moment that you're ready to hear. You're seeing the impact that this substance is having on you and the people that you love. And people like you and I were saying, you know what, for the health of it, right? you don't have to drink. You know, and having the Cancer Society come out, the American Cancer Society, no amount of alcohol is good for you. So these doctors are not going to say a glass of wine is great for you. And if they do, run. Episode number 15, Jill Tights of Sober Powered. So we all have like the this baseline serotonin. Let's pretend on a scale of one to a hundred, it's like fifty is your baseline, but everybody's different. Okay. Mine's probably like 30. <laughs> yeah. Right. And that makes it even worse for us. And we're more likely to struggle with alcohol because when you drink, your serotonin shoots up. So maybe it goes from 30 to 80. Okay. And now you feel happy. And that's why people describe themselves as happy drunks. And then if you see these same happy drunks at the end of the night, you'll see these drunk girls crying in the bathroom. That was me. Same. (laughs) I did it at the bar sometimes. So embarrassing. Oh, because you don't even realize where you are. And and my favorite is when it's like a person that you like just met like 20 minutes ago and you're like, you're my new best friend. And they're like, please leave. (laughs) They're like, what's your name again? (laughs) <laughs> this this will be a good story I can tell my actual friends. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Go away. Yeah. So towards the end of the night, your serotonin drops, but it doesn't just drop back to normal. It drops below normal. Oh, yeah. And that's why you get really sad and cry. It's just like a chemistry thing. It's not like because it's not you. Right. It's a chemistry thing. But what happens when you repeat the process over and over and over, your baseline starts to get lower and lower and lower. So if your baseline in the beginning was a 50, eventually your brain adapts and now your baseline's a 40. And then your baseline's a 30. And that's when you're not drinking. So that's just like with everyday stuff. Now now you're not finding the joy in everyday stuff that you did before. Yeah, and then you're drinking just to get back to a 50 eventually. 
And then you're going to drop below it. So not even to be happy. Yeah. And then it it keeps feeding the cycle where you get this like little instant gratification thing of like coming back up and feeling better. But then yeah. you, it it just makes it worse after and then you're even worse than you were before. And that's why it's so common for people to be very suicidal at the end, both from the way that their brain adjusts to chronic heavy drinking, but also just because the low self-worth and low self-esteem. But it's this chemistry thing where you just get so depressed. And if you get super depressed over time, it's it's just more likely that you're going to feel very suicidal. Yeah. Um, so that So it's not, I'm a suicidal person anymore. It's that I had all this adaptation that was making me very, very low. And then I would be even lower when I would jolt awake in the middle of the night. Yes. I'd be like in the negatives. <laughs> totally in the negatives and sweating and heart racing and anxiety and like just. Yep. Oh, God. And it's not that like when you drink alcohol, you immediately feel down. It's that, is it that first like 20 minutes of feeling like, oh, this is okay. Now this is, this feels good. Right. And then you're just constantly trying to feel that way again, but it's, you're not going to get there. Yeah. And that's why we don't think it's the alcohol because the alcohol fixes our problem for the first like hour. Okay. You know, we feel calm. We feel happy again. Um, All of our problems don't matter as much. And then as the alcohol wears off and you feel even worse, you think that's you, but it's the alcohol. Yeah. And then we drink again because we think alcohol fixes, you know, it, it calms me down and makes me not hate myself. But then the the drinking so much is causing all of those things, but we don't connect the end of the story. Right. We we don't give alcohol the full picture. We're like, oh, it's the good part, but obviously the bad part it's, is me. Yep. That's like I always think about when I see a picture, like if someone takes a picture of myself and it's a good angle, I'm like, oh, well, that's just a good angle. And if it's a bad angle, I'm like, oh, well, that's me. That's what I really look like. Yep. <gasps> it's like, well, no, it's it's all the camera and you. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And and we blame ourselves and then we think alcohol is the only good thing. Like it's our best friend. It's the only thing that helps. But really it's the thing that's doing all of these bad or worsening. You know, if you started off yes. with anxiety, now your anxiety is probably a hundred times worse from all the drinking. And you know, you'll see it in tolerance. Like as, you know, someone starts with one glass of wine to wind down, Mm -hmm. eventually they go to two and then they go to three and that's because their brain is adapting and they need more. So with, with anxiety, we said like alcohol slows down your brain. So your thoughts can't race. And so things become less important. Messages aren't being sent as quickly, but your brain wants to be normal and balanced So it's going to do things to counteract Mm -hmm. the alcohol. So it's going to speed up your brain, basically. Episode number 16, featuring my mom. First of all, the diagnostic criteria has changed. And really just in the last four years, I think the new DSM came out. So it used to be there, there was a complete delineation. You were alcohol abuse mm-hmm. syndrome or, or alcohol dependence diagnostic. So the abuse would be not nearly so serious. You could, you know, let's just tone it down a little bit. Mm-hmm. And then the dependence would be the more, we never use the word alcoholic. We never use the word uh, addicted. That's just not in the DSM. Dependence would be the, the criteria. So there was this delineation. It's, it's a problem. Or it's really, it's really not a problem. You just got to tighten it up a little bit. And now, yeah. now it's alcohol use disorder or substance use disorder. And so there's just all on a gradient. Mm-hmm. And so it's not so defined. It's just, it's a little muddier. And the one thing that hasn't changed, I think, for the way that I approach a client is I do say, and this is where you and I discuss this a lot, mm-hmm. I do say it's only a problem if it's a problem. And you're the one who decides for yourself if it's a problem, mm-hmm. right? And so I, as a therapist... Yeah, you and I butt heads a little bit. Yeah. I mean, 
and this is what this is what we always talk about because as a therapist, we, we just have totally different roles. That's right. You as a therapist, you're leading them to the water, and that might take a long time. That's right. And in the meantime, they're still turning to alcohol to cope, de-stress, escape, all of these things. And you might see that, but you can't really say that because then they're going to get defensive. That's exactly right. That's that's the difference in a, a therapist role versus anybody else in their life, right? Yeah. So if I say, um, yeah, I think you have a drinking problem and I think you really need to get a handle on it. They've heard that from everybody, Mm -hmm. you know, and they may have even thought it, but because everybody's sort of on their case about it, they have to be in a defensive stance. Don't tell me it's that bad. It's not that bad. Look at I'm just a social drinker. I'm a normal social drinker. Right. Right. (laughs) Yeah. And so um, I can't go at them like that. I have to just have an open space for them to say, So there's a thing called motivational interviewing, which is Mm -hmm. the way that we approach these things as therapists. So if they say, I don't have a drinking problem, you know, it doesn't cause me any trouble. What one of the tactics is I'll say, well, yeah, it doesn't cause you any troubles at all. I mean, from what I see, there's not one thing (laughs) that has gone wrong because of your drinking. And then that opens it up for them to say, well. Yeah, and they're like, well, that's not exactly true. Right. Yeah, you guys, you think therapists don't know what they're doing. They do. And they also, do. if you think your therapist doesn't think you're full of shit sometimes, they do. Yeah, right. That's right. <laughs> like, if you think you're fooling your therapist, you're not. That's right. You know, and that that's an interesting thing about therapy overall is it's not my job to question everything like, oh, I don't believe anything you say, you're full of shit. Right. I mean, if I did that, I wouldn't be effective at all. No, that would, you would be a horrible therapist. Right, yeah. right. And believe me, I've seen therapists like that. And one of the things that people are often really surprised at is when I say, what do you like about drinking? And then they sort of launch into, well, it's bad because of this, it's bad because of that, because they think that's what I want to hear. That you want to hear, yeah. But I want to hear, what are you getting out of it? And if they say, well, when I'm bored, when I'm lonely, when I'm scared, when I'm anxious, when I'm depressed, mm-hmm. okay, that's what we need to talk about. Right. Let's work on that stuff because there's always a mental health component underneath it. Why are you drinking so much? Totally. It's so interesting because like what when you and I talk about, and you know, my approach, I, I'm not a therapist and I, I make it clear. You don't even play one on TV. <laughs> no, I don't. I don't play one on the podcast. <laughs> and I say things that therapists can't say. Right. I'm a place for the people to land who have already questioned their drinking because Yes. And I I do think almost everyone has questioned their drinking. <laughs> well, certainly everyone that comes to you has. But do you know someone? Can you think of someone? Are we naming names? <laughs> yeah. I want their name and I want their social security <laughs> number. <laughs> I think I can think of one person in my life who hasn't kind of either taken a break from drinking, been like, oh God, I drank too much last night, which is a way for them to feel like, oh, I shouldn't have done that. There's some shame in there, judgment, all of that. Yeah. I I just don't know anyone who hasn't. Well, I know one person. (laughs) (laughs) That's pretty, pretty minimal. Yeah. Well, certainly when they're in my office, somebody has questioned their drinking, even if it's not them. Right. And don't you think it is them? Yeah, I think in the heart of hearts, that's where that motivational interviewing comes in. If I can just give them a safe space to actually express that, maybe. Yeah, that's why I think that podcasts like this and This Naked Mind and How to Quit Like a Woman, all of those things are pair well with therapy because like you're not going to get what you'll get out of therapy. You're not going to get that from a podcast or an audio book like you. I'm not going to I'm not going to be able to talk with you about what's really underneath your drinking because there is something underneath your drinking. Exactly. Episode number 17 with Dr. Brooke Scheller. There's all this focus on how can we our physical body be healthy? How can our minds be healthy? Alcohol just is generally not part of that conversation. It, it does when you realize what alcohol does to you, it does seem crazy that we would do all these things and then wash it down with alcohol. And that's the thing is if we are trying to achieve some type of health goal, Mm -hmm. we're consuming alcohol, that 
is the one thing that's going to be holding us back the most. If you're drinking alcohol, it doesn't matter if you're taking all of the supplements, you're drinking all of the juice, you are working out every single day. If you're drinking, that's going to hold you back from receiving the progress that you're looking for. Mm -hmm. And that goes for anything from, you know, you have low energy to hormone imbalance is another huge one. Infertility is associated with alcohol use, Um, menopause symptoms, all the PMS. That's huge. Like what woman does not struggle with PMS like that? Yeah. The hormone aspect, every time I talk about it, gets a lot of traction. And I believe my perspective on it is that we don't necessarily associate alcohol with hormones. Like it doesn't Yes, liver. Like I think we all know alcohol Mm -hmm. affects the liver. I think most people don't really know what the liver does and how it affects the liver and what that means Mm -hmm. in the scheme of things. But the liver is part of the reason why alcohol affects our hormones because our liver is really the main site of hormone production, hormone storage, and hormone metabolism. Mm. What I always like to explain, and this is very fascinating to me, is that when we put alcohol into our system, It is a toxin. It is a product that the body goes, hell no, we got to get this stuff out, right? Yeah. So it puts a pause on everything else that the body's working on. And it says, "Eh, we have alcohol, we got to get it out, right? The liver is going to put all of its normal processes on hold Mm. to manage the removal of alcohol. Now think about that. If we do that on a day after day after day after day or a week after week after week after week basis we are basically stopping the body's normal processes from happening. Mm -hmm. Now, the body figures all of that out some way, somehow, because it keeps us alive, right? Mm -hmm. But hormones are one of the really interesting areas because, yes, uh, the liver being affected is going to deprioritize that normal hormone balancing. The other really interesting thing, and I was just talking to Megan from Soba Sisters about Mm -hmm. this, that the reproductive system is the only system of your body that you can remove all of the organs in the organ system and still live. You can't remove your skeletal system. You can't remove your brain. I can attest to that. I no longer have a uterus. (laughs) Well, right. So you can have that system removed and you Mm -hmm. can still live. Now, you'll have effects from that. But the reason why is because anytime the body is in stress, it's going to say, well, we have to worry about the stress that's happening. We're not worried about reproduction right now. Right. Mm. And this is something innate, like from long ages and ages ago of, you know, if you are uh, hunting for food back in the caveman days, right? Mm -hmm. You need to find the food and you need to feed yourself. You don't need to reproduce. Right. Right. And so similarly, this is what happens in the body when we drink because the body says, "Eh, last thing I'm going to worry about is a baby because also the baby's going to be affected by this toxin. Right. Right. And it's going to say, let's shut down all these hormonal systems. Because it's not a priority. So exactly. we, we can't we can't afford to have a baby right now because our, our our main frame is going down. <laughs> so we gotta fix that. Exactly. Wow. So yeah, and that's one that people are like, oh, when you start to describe it, it makes a lot of sense, right? Yeah. And I think that that's where that conversation really intrigues people because we do know, okay, the brain is affected. Okay, the liver. Right. And the gut is another big area yeah. that I think some people recognize that if they drink, their stomach gets upset. Or yeah, I just heard like it's called dads, like day after drinking syndrome or day after drinking sickness or something like the bubbly, like beer gut, like, oh, beer. oh man. Beer bells. Yeah. We'll oh my God. Yes. Alcohol is an irritant. It's going to irritate the digestive system. But more from a long-term perspective, it changes the microbiome. So it's going to affect our probiotics, you know, contribute to an overgrowth of bad bacteria in the gut. And some of these bacteria actually feed off of alcohol. So they will send signals to the body that manifest as cravings for us to drink more. So the gut plays a role in that way, but also... Alcohol is very disruptive to the lining of the gut, can contribute to something like leaky gut syndrome, where the lining of the gut starts to break down. That can affect things like our immune system, can contribute to autoimmune disease. 
Also, systemic inflammation. So if there's any type of inflammatory disorder, that can be joint pain, that can be headaches, migraines. And anytime I'm working with a client or with those who are in my group, we always talk about the gut and how to start to recover and repair that when we stop drinking, whether or not you have symptoms or not. Mm -hmm. Because those are the things that if they're not addressed and rebalanced, they can cause issues 10 years down the line. Episode number 18, Casey Davidson of the Hello Someday podcast. I told my girlfriend she had a baby four months after me. And I said, just so you know, and you can disagree with me or whatever, anyone listening. I said, every woman wants to divorce her husband when her kid's six months old, six weeks old, (laughs) six weeks. And she was like, that won't happen to me. Maddie's amazing. He's wonderful, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, okay, just if it happens. It's not. No, it's normal. Yeah. You know, it's normal. She called me at like six weeks. She had taken off with her baby to go to her parents in Arizona. And she's like, if I fucking knew I was going to be a single mom, yada, yada, yada. (laughs) And I was just like, yeah, right. There it is. (laughs) Yeah, because I I think it all comes down to us. And sure, not 100% of it, but like most of it comes down to to moms because I think it has to. And a lot of times, like, obviously moms get maternity leave and they stay home and, oh my God, you need that. Oh, yeah. You need that so much. But the assumption is, hey, I'm going to work, so you stay up because I have to get a good night's sleep. Like, as if sitting in an office in a meeting is harder than being with an infant for 10 hours straight. It's so true. Which is all to say, like, yes, of course we drink because we don't we aren't getting what we need, which is help and support and time to decompress and time to work out ah. and understanding, right? All those things you had to support your mental health before you had a kid yeah, kind of go away and you're just at the beck and call of someone who really needs you. But it's like, oh my God, I can't satisfy you ever. Yeah. It's all so new and it's so scary to be so in charge and yeah. of someone else. Like I said, my my youngest is three and I'm just now feeling like my body is mine again. Yeah. You know, after being pregnant and nursing three babies and like just like getting to know this new body again, like what all of it, I, I think we we just have to normalize that motherhood is hard and it's okay for us to complain and vent and say it fucking sucks sometimes. Yeah. You can say that in the same breath and love your child endlessly. Yeah. Like we can do both because we have to be able to. Yeah. And not only that, we need to stop being pushed to drink as a solution. Like the the old joke is like yes. the safest thing for a man to say when a woman is exhausted, angry, frustrated, whatever is here, honey have a glass of wine, right? I think of it like a pacifier that people tell us and that we tell ourselves to shut us up. Oh my God, that's so true. It is like a pacifier. It's like, don't feel just like focus on this, escape in this. And like, we're only saying this because it doesn't work. No. Like if it worked, if it actually like was an escape and was healthy and helped de-stress and help you know, help us sleep, help us like, then great. Like, yes. But that's the thing is it's a trick. Like we've been tricked. And so that's always my, my thing is just to be like, yeah, you guys, if it worked, yeah. Yeah. Guess what? It doesn't. It actually makes all of this shit harder. It's addictive. Like the substance is working as designed. You do go into withdrawal. Yeah. When you're not drinking, you do feel worse. You do lower the dopamine in your brain so that you are not physically as happy, like chemically as happy as you would be if you didn't drink. So it's pushed on us. The substance works as designed and it increases your anxiety and messes up your sleep. And and we're brainwashed to not discuss that that happens. Episode number 26, Megan of Soba Sisters. I didn't even like myself. I didn't love myself. I couldn't even look in the mirror. So I started putting post-its everywhere, like Aww, telling myself. What to did for- they say? <laughs> so they would I, say. I want to know. There's a couple. One of them was, um, and I learned these from the course I was taking, but yeah. one was, um, I am not my past. I am a person of dignity and honor. 
And oh. I love that one because we're not defined by the worst things we've ever done. You know, yeah. the fact I almost missed Christmas morning one year doesn't define me as a mom. Well, because that wasn't you. That was the alcohol. Right. <laughs> like if not for the alcohol, you would not miss Christmas morning. That was the alcohol. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 So I just loved it, you know, but it, it took a while. And then now I'm like, one day I remember just walking by the mirror and being like, oh, hey, I, I like you. <laughs> you're like, you're, yeah. yeah. You're like, wait a second. You're cute. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> totally. It's totally like, yeah, the self-esteem comes back because you're, you're who you truly are meant to be. And there's none of that noise and nonsense and distraction. Yeah. It's unbelievable. And even my relationship, you know, I've been in a relationship for the, for the last like four years and that's completely changed. Like, oh gosh, there were so many nights we would go out to dinner and we would have the greatest time. I would spend so much time getting ready and try to look all pretty. But by the end of the night, I would be either crying, I would yeah. like be, we'd get into the bed after this wonderful dinner and I would end up crying and falling asleep crying. I would pick a fight. Yes, yes the from, fights. From something that bothered me from a month ago. And I'd be like, you remember yeah. that time like a month ago? Like, And he's like, what are you talking about? Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. And then the fights, yeah, mm-hmm. the unnecessary fights, like those are just eliminated. I mean, my husband and I still fight, but it's not nearly as much. And it's also just like about real stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I can it's, fight, I feel like in a good way now. Like I, yeah, where before, productive. yeah, I was afraid to fight because I was felt so crappy about myself that I would just like be like, okay, yeah. okay whatever. But now I'm like, I usually will, I'll stand up for myself so much more because I'm not questioning what I really did the night before. Cause sometimes I would forget or I wouldn't remember half of our night. So I didn't want to fight about it. Cause I'd be like, Oh, let's see. I don't even want to, what did I say? And then you just feel like you're in the wrong, no matter what you're like, Oh, I was drinking. I must be wrong. And it's like, even if there are issues to work out, it's that not trusting yourself. And now you can trust yourself and your feelings and you know how you feel. That's the best. Episode 28, Celeste Yvonne of the Ultimate Mom Challenge. Okay, so you have parented then while you were drinking and now sober. Like what's, what is the biggest difference for you in being a sober mom versus a drinking mom? Yeah, you know, I think once you become a mother, energy becomes a currency, right? And you have to decide Mm. where you're going to spend your energy and where you're going to conserve it. And drinking and hangovers take up so much energy. So much. Yes. For me, it, once I quit and got that energy back, I could really soak in and do a deep dive into the mother, being the mother I wanted to be, which is more present, Mm. more energetic, you know, actually being able to get up off the couch and play with them, you know, when they wanted to, or making it to, you know, the sports games or doing the things that I was too drained to do when I was nursing a hangover. Yeah. I love that I can be that person for my, my kids now, where there was a couple of years where I wasn't. And yes, I do still kind of feel some guilt around that. Because you care. That's another thing. Like guilt is just a signal that we care so damn much. And I think if anything, it's a call to action to do better today. Yeah. Right. And that's all we can do. You know, we, I talk a lot to mothers who have kids who are either teenagers or adults, and they're just starting their sober journey now. And they almost feel like it's too late. Mm. And I try to tell them like, now, now is the perfect time. Mm -hmm. Now is just right. You can still, you know, mend relationships now. You can still change your behavior and regain that trust now. And it could be like, okay, the perfect time might've been five years ago. The second perfect time's today. Yeah. Like you're going to look back in five years from now and be like, God, why didn't I stop then? Yeah. And I think when I think about what kind of memories I want my children to have, I want them to have energized, go-getter mom who is always there, uh, not, you know, laying in bed Sunday mornings, you know, too hungover to hang out and have breakfast. Mm -hmm. I don't want to be that mom. Not anymore. You know? Yeah. I tried that motherhood. 
it didn't work out for me. <laughs> yeah. And I think as moms, you know, we do think like, oh, we're just tired. We're just, we just have a headache. We're just too old. Like you guys, you're not old and it's not just because you're tired. It's probably the alcohol. Right. I know. We, we let it off the hook. Yeah. Even if you don't have like this like crazy hangover, I mean, you still feel the effects of alcohol in like your energy levels and yeah. In everything. You know, I think about what I want for my children, you know, and as they get older, of course, I don't want them to rely on alcohol or drugs to get them through hard times. I don't want them to use alcohol or drugs to self-medicate. I don't want any of that for them. So why was it okay for me? Yeah. If I don't want that for my children, but I'm showing up as that every day, you know, what kind of example am I setting? And that, Mm -hmm. that was another, you know, eye-opening moment for me is not only what are they going to remember in mom, if I'm always gripping my wine glass, like I depend on it. Yeah. But what am I teaching them to do when they're old enough to make their own choices? Episode number 32 with Shay Mitchell. No one else had told me, go to rehab. You're, you have a problem. Right. It was not for anyone else this time. It was for me and I knew it and I knew I was done and it was different this time. And so I knew I needed the tools because I was also not going to live this life miserable because I thought that alcohol was the only thing making my life fun. Right. Too, still. So like, oh shit. So I have to get rid of the only thing that makes my life worth living. Right. So like, I get better figure this out. <laughs> I just... Yeah, the thing that is killing me does feel like the only thing that makes your life fun and worth living. Yes. Still, even though I knew I was done, I still felt like I was letting go of the one thing that was helping me survive. Yeah, you believed that lie because we're all tricked. We're all tricked by it. Mm -hmm. Did you then go to AA or how does AA fit into your journey? Yeah, so I already had a therapist that I'd been working with since the suicidal ideations which I'm actually really grateful for because she kind of saw me through that relapse. And then I got got real honest with her. I told her, you know, I was like, okay, I admit it. I fully accept it. And then we were really able to start working on in, more in-depth stuff too. Yeah. So that helped. I got honest with her. I got a psychologist because I needed to get on meds for depression, anxiety, some of those things that I was really using alcohol to cope with that I couldn't get out of on my own. So I was on all those meds for about 15 months. I like to say that because I like people to know that that's okay. And that also is yes. possible to get off of them. Totally. I've been on it for like almost seven yeah. years and I'm almost off of it. And I'm like terrified. And if you don't ever get off, that's okay too. Like whatever you need. Yes. Whatever you need to be okay. And that's the thing. I always say like, if alcohol helped anxiety, like I'd be like, okay, yeah, that's in your toolbox. It doesn't. Mm-hmm. Not only does it help anxiety, it makes it so much fucking worse. Like, so it's causing anxiety. Yes. Like, it makes it so much worse. People don't believe it. And you, it's hard to believe until you're out of it. And you have to be out of it for a while. Exactly. Like you need about 30 you days to get back to baseline. And so, like, you don't even know the benefits of it for a minute. So you're like, this is bullshit. This is bullshit. I just want my alcohol. I just want my alcohol. Yes. Even longer than 30 days. Like, sometimes it, it takes as long as it takes. You will totally get there. Yeah. You just have to find your feet. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. And I needed craving medication too, because that was the thing that kept on getting me. Like I felt like all the prior times, like it's hard to explain, but I just finally was like, you know, I need a craving blocker. Like I really want that assistance. Yeah. And so I I took it like, good. I'm, I'm taking that assistance. So I did the Vivitrol shot monthly for about 14 months too. And that was really just freaking nice to not have cravings for alcohol, to not have that. Yeah. I don't know. Like, I still didn't leave the house for a year. COVID helped. But I think even if I wasn't in COVID, I wouldn't have left the house for a year because I just needed to not be around anything. Yeah. But I like what you just said that you didn't leave the house for a year. Like, the idea that, like, we have to test ourselves in new sobriety to see if we can, like, know. Say no. Like, say no, you don't have to go. It's okay. Because you will be able to go next year When you feel stronger. Yes. If you take the time to nurture your sobriety, you'll be able to go, now 
I love going to parties where everyone's drinking because it's so easy for me to romanticize alcohol when I'm not around it. <laughs> Dude, give me a front row seat to alcohol. And I'm like, oh my yeah, God, I remember. Uh, you're, <laughs> yeah, you're awful. Alcohol is awful. Episode number 34 with Lucy of the Sober Brown Queen. It's so true. Like when you're drinking, that stuff kind of just isn't on the table. It's not even like, it's not like you're washing your face when you're passing out, you know? Like Exactly, right? I wasn't, yeah. Yeah. And so like, you don't realize how those little things add up when you're drinking, but then also in sobriety, those little things add up to make you feel so like cared for. Cared for. Yeah. Like loving your own self, supporting your own self, having your own back and listening to the little clip that you put on your page about honoring your word. You say you do something, you're going to do it. Yes. And that has made all the difference to me. I think it's just that the relationship with me or knowing me, finding me again, that has been the best part about sobriety is knowing me again and not just knowing me, but loving me. Yeah. Because I don't think I would be able to say that two years ago that I actually knew what it meant to love me and get my own back and honor my word and stand up for me. And now I can 100% say I can do that. And I'm still working on some stuff, of course. Yeah, of course. Friday doesn't fix everything. Right. Yeah. But it gives us the time to actually go, you know, like get down into the things that we don't want to feel. And a lot of those things for me is just feeling worthy, feeling like I belong, feeling like I deserve good things. And that's what I've been working on right now is just being, feeling worthy. Feeling like I, I am enough. This is me. This is what you get. That's right. And I am enough, you know, and that's how I show up to the world. Yeah, that's my work. And that has really changed my mindset about everything and how I do everything. I am worthy and I am enough and I'm deserving. That's my work. I have chills. I just love so much that, you know, you got to that place by removing something from your life. You didn't have to add anything. Right. Right? I didn't. I didn't. Yeah. It was already there. It was already there. It's just an uncovering and like getting rid of the alcohol and like mm -hmm. all of its lies. And then what are we left with? Right. Yes. It's finding you again. And in that process, because then the other question that comes up for me is, does your husband still drink? Right. And the answer to that was a few months ago, he was still drinking and he's never really struggled with it. He's like, <laughs> he takes a glass and he puts it down. And I used to think like, how is that possible? Yeah. Like you just live it. Like you're just going to leave it there? Yeah. Right? You're not going to finish that? I'll finish that for you. Right. No problem. Episode number 36 with Ketsia of the Sober Elephant Chronicles. I started going to TLC meetings and actually turning my camera on. And that's the luckiest club. That's Laura McCowan. Did you start with her book? Is that how you found it? Or you just started? I actually found it through the home podcast. That was the podcast. I started listening to it secretly at the gym. Oh, okay. In 2018, I found it. Okay, so this was before you stopped. You were even listening to it then. Oh, yeah. Okay. I wanted proof that there were other women, especially who were making this work, who could actually go through life without alcohol. It's like, I needed to believe it. And, and especially uh, Laura and Holly are writers. I'm a writer. Like I wanted the other women like me doing it. And I think that's important for anyone in recovery. You want to see. Totally. And I do think like our community still needs more diversity to it. Yeah, for sure. There's a lot of us sober, cisgender, white women doing what we're doing, right? And, and I yeah. would love to see more diversity. Even like now seeing some of the men starting accounts, there's a couple and I'm like, this is great, right? Yeah, even though they had their AA and they are the ones who started it all, but yes. In the beginning, yeah. Yeah, to get more men on board with this kind of in-between drinking. With not just one way, right? Yeah, not just the AA path. Yeah, I'm with you for sure. And definitely more diversity. Yeah. Yeah, so then you started going to TLC meetings. How was that? I went to one of those, I think, early on too. I don't think I turned my camera on. I couldn't get sober until I started 
connecting, like turning my camera. I shared with my voice. I was so scared to do it because I, I just like, I still get nervous with public speaking, but like my heart, like literally felt like it was going to beat out of my chest. But I was like, even though it was the least, you know, scary kind of group, but I had to, and a bunch of people put their phone number in the chat and all this kind of stuff. And I was like, oh, that's great. You've been doing it this one way for this whole time and it's clearly not working. Try a different way. Yeah. And so by starting to reach out, people were so welcoming I read Amy Dresner's book, My Fair Junkie. That was so good. That was when she was on the streets of LA, right? Yeah. Oh, that was so good. And so there was a few books. I, I'm a huge reader and I started all the money I'd been spending on drinking. I started ordering books and all these books would show up at the house and I yeah. was listening to podcasts, you know, kind of the same story that a lot of people have, but it still took a couple months of doing that. When I first started going to the meetings, I'd have my camera off and I'd be drinking my wine and I'd be like, whatever. But um, yeah, but I feel like that was still a part of it, right? That was you kind of getting used to the idea of this, like, what is this new world? What does it look like? And let's see if I can bring my old world into this new world. And then it became clear that you couldn't. It's all like an unfolding. I feel like it is. I feel like our stories, like, of course, there are very um, significant rock bottom stories for sure. Yes. I definitely had an addiction. Like I had, Obviously, I had a physical addiction and I had a mental addiction to it. Yeah. But I don't identify as an alcoholic. And I think there's a huge, when I hear people's stories, like there's some variations in how they came into it. But a lot of us tried for a long time to figure out how to make it work because we're made to believe that that's that's the way it works, like that you can do that. No one talks about the party girl who turns into a mom. Right. And like, where does that go? You know? I was a party girl and I loved it. I was a bartender. I was, I worked in clubs mm-hmm. and I loved it. And there was something I got out of it. Right. You know? And so then you can't just go from party girl to then mother Teresa. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Sober Mom Life. If you loved it, please rate and review it wherever you listen. Five stars is amazing. Also, follow me on Instagram at The Sober Mom Life. Okay, I'll see you next week. I'm going to go reheat my coffee. Bye. Why are we doing an ad again? So that we can tell people about brand new information, a pop culture and political podcast. Say it in a way that doesn't sound like game show host. Okay. Do you want to be in a room of overeducated douchebags and feel comfortable? Brand new information is for you. What's it going to take to put you in this podcast today? We have brand new information on sale for free. Free. Wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah. We might not break the political and pop culture news of the week. But we put it right back together for you. That's right. Listen wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Addiction impacts all of us. Addiction's consequences run through all of us. From ourselves to our loved ones and through our communities, addiction creates so much loss and grief. My name is Dwayne Osterlin, and I'm the host of the Addicted Mind podcast, a show featuring personal stories, expert guests, and vital information about addiction and addiction recovery. We'll talk with leading treatment providers to discuss the latest research and treatment options for this devastating disease and advocate for mental health awareness. We discuss topics like the importance of creating a community of support to helping loved ones to some of the latest research on psychedelic medicines. The Addicted Mind podcast has been about creating hope, listening to stories of many amazing people that have overcome addiction and are thriving. If you or a loved one is struggling with addiction, subscribe to the Addicted Mind podcast wherever you get your podcasts or check out theaddictedmind.com. New episodes every Monday. See you there.